Another story down, another step closer to home. I don't know about you, friend, but my first priority is to get home. If incidentally we can free some of these people, then so be it. I didn't get the power I have being altruistic, friend. Don't mistake my friendship for weakness. I am the boogeyman under the bed. I am the thing in the night. I am the black. All shall despair and fear me. I am sorry, friend. My frustrations of not being in complete control are getting the better of me. You, I think are the key to all of this. Be prepared. Let's go. A bathroom? Hello? Is anyone in here? The shower curtain is closed. I am surprised you're still living, Jimmy and friend. Why are you here? We have been told to witness all of the stories to get home. That is good advice, but I fear that the dark one will stop me. I think the witnessing is only one part of the puzzle. That'd be right. Nothing is ever as easy as it seems. Honestly, I think you have an insurmountable task ahead of you. The dark one is too powerful. We shall see. He's not the only one with power. There is no escape for anyone. No safety. You might as well give up now. We appreciate your advice, but we have another direction we want to go in. Your end is here in this house. It will defeat you. Enough. We will witness the story now. I suggest you continue your wallowing quietly. Good luck, dead men. <laughs> Come on, friend. Let us move along. There is a net on this pedestal. Perhaps a story in the ocean. Those Who Throw Nets Written by Elizabeth Allen Narrated by Falconetti In the night sea, the two sisters slip along the currents close to the surface. 
When they see the puddle of light above them, they glide up to meet it. Arms out, then back, then a pulse of fins. Twice more they breach, shaking their weedy gray heads in the surrounding air. The ocean is calm, and the moon full and pale as a gull's breast. The light sits upon their shoulders, plays along the strands of their hair. The sisters find it so pleasant that they open their mouths and sing. It is a placid continuo, a low-toned pulse in harmony with the gentle waves around them. In time, their song is joined by a rushing sound. It is strange to them, belonging to no creature they know. The sisters do not see the strange bulky thing as it eases behind them in the peaceful water near enough for nets to extend, to cover their heads and trap their spindle arms. They are lifted, torn from their home and pulled toward the bulky shape, looming blue, white in the moonlight. With its prizes secured, the bulk turns and moves away. From the water, another larger head emerges. No song from this one. Instead, a scream. As he sped his rickety ford down the hill to the waterfront, Thad Hayes flicked his glance from the road to the ship nearing the shore. When he'd first spotted her, he thought the captain was steering her toward the main cargo docks, trying to outrace the bad weather bearing down on the Carolina coast. But there was nothing coming out of her funnel. She was riding the storm swells, which were now pushing her toward the outermost docks of the adjacent marina. Thad arrived at the Port Resolute Harbor Master's office and smacked open the wooden door, shaking the paned glass set in its top half. Jeff, what the hell's going on with that vessel? His assistant took off his hat and ran a meaty hand over his clipped white hair. God damned if I know, Thad. I've been trying the radio, but I'm not getting nothing. Well, Christ. Maybe it's gone down or the skipper's had a heart attack. Grab the warning flags. The two men trotted out the back door of the office and down the plank dock ramp. The high wind chirped over Thad's ears as they ran past the commercial docks to the marina, where a collection of day-fishing boats and pleasure vessels were nestled. 
Watching the swells as they continued to push the ship to shore, Thad got his first good look. It was a small tramp steamer, maybe 85 feet bow to stern, iron-hulled, the kind that did cross-Atlantic cargo runs, legitimate and otherwise. From the look of the ship's waterline, Thad guessed that it wasn't carrying much in the way of cargo. Hey, drop anchor! The men waved the flags and hollered into the wind. Drop the fucking anchor! Hey, drop, drop the fucking anchor! Now, Thad could make out a name on the side. The Argentum. Shit, she's too close, Jeff. She's gonna hit. The swells launched the steamer over the last short distance toward the docks. Get clear! They watched as the ship rammed a shiny new yacht. Mr. Utley's new 1935 model, the one with the polished teakwood. Raising an ungodly din of screeching metal on metal, smashing glass and shredding wood. Then it clipped a wheeler fishing boat before finally implanting itself into the sturdy docking that led up toward the shoreline. Thad turned to Jeff. Go get me a rope ladder from the office, will ya? <laughs> sure, boss. Thad thought for a moment. And, uh, uh... My revolver. My desk. Bottom left drawer. When Jeff returned, Thad stuck the gun in the waistband of his trousers tossed the ladder up so it hooked over the ship's side. When he got to the top, he looked down at his assistant. Are you coming? Uh, oh, sure. Jeff scrambled up the ladder. Large areas of copper decking were dark, as if it had been recently stained, but poorly, unevenly. A copper penny odor rose from the wood. Oh, Jesus. Thad felt his lunch start up from his stomach. He swallowed and steadied himself, then took out the gun held it at arm's length as they advanced over the empty deck. When they found the stairs to the cargo hold, he called. Hello? Anybody on board? Let's get the cops, Thad, or, or the Coast Guard. Thad cocked his head toward the dark space of the hold. I... I just want to know what we're dealing with. The men eased down the steps and into blackness. As their eyes acclimated to the dark, they noticed a few boxes here, some barrels there, likely crew supplies, but no real cargo. 
Then, at the far end of the space, two larger, square crates. Thad put away the gun and approached. They were water tanks, the kind that might be used for transporting exotic fish or reptiles. The water was cloudy, and a green scum clung to their sides. A foul smell wafted up from the water. Straining to see through the murk, he distinguished in one a motionless dark shape, roughly the size of a house cat. Jeff looked around and found a gaff leaning against a nearby wall. He handed it to his boss. Um, you, he said. Thad eased the pole up under the thing and raised it to the surface. He startled for a moment, then, pressed by curiosity, leaned in. It seemed like a fish, albeit one with an unnaturally brilliant silver fan tail and scales. But oh, God, there was a, a face, almost a human face, slate gray, flat nose in the center. The eyes were closed, but the mouth was open and there were rows of tiny needle teeth, top and bottom. A mass of black, moss-like hair radiated out from the head, and spindly arms floated from its sides like kite tails. What in the ever-loving Christ? Thad dropped the gaff and backed away, bumping into the other tank. His eyes darted, looking for another dark spot in the fetid water. He saw nothing. What? is this thing? Um, fuck if I know, boss. Jeff murmured. Let's, let's call somebody. Please. Mother dips in and out of the water while it is still dark and through the long brightness that follows. Churning arms and fin, swimming at top speed to keep up with the terrible bulk. It streams a sort of venom from its round mouth and makes a tremendous din in the water but it will have to sleep sometime. Mother is sure. And when it does, she will take her children back. Aboard the Argentum, the strange discoveries make the small crew giddy. Jesus, Kelly, who would have thought that damned crazy old salt was telling the truth? I just wait and see what people will pay to see real mermaids. 
<laughs> I thought they'd be a pretty eye. <laughs> you mean you thought they'd have long blonde hair and big tits? <laughs> Green fins? <laughs> 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 Laughter all around. Uh, Mr. Ringling's gonna give us a lot of money for these little ones. Right. Or we could take them around ourselves, couldn't we, Kelly? Go right down the coast, charge a dollar for a gander. Well, times is hard. You're not gonna get a dollar a pop. Besides, I want to go back to the Sargasso and find some more. From the hold, a keening starts. Terrible sounds that make the men feel like there are maggots writhing beneath their skin. Ugh, go shut them up, the one named Kelly says. Thad hadn't wanted to get the cops involved. He'd had run-ins with them before. They'd take everything over make it hard to get back on the ship. God knows what they'd do with the thing in the tank. After finding no one aboard, he'd called the Coast Guard. But the storm had created havoc, and they were busy with rescues. In the end, the cops showed up anyway and wanted the area cleared. Obviously, something very bad had happened on this vessel, in addition to what might constitute a major scientific find. As the sky blackened and the clouds opened up, Thad and Jeff gave the officers a quick tour of the boat. The rain was already washing away some of the blood smears. Uh, call me if uh, anything uh, happens, Thad said dully to the cops before he left. Tomorrow, he'd call the biology department at the college in Wilmington, get someone over to take a look at the creature. Thad sighed and turned from the windswept waterfront. He gave Jeff a ride home, then hunkered down in his cottage to watch the storm. After unloading the main cargo in Norfolk, the Argentum heads south with its treasures. But 20 miles out from the Black Diamond Lighthouse at Cape Lookout, the boat slows in the water, then stops. The dirty steam engine is feeling its age. Fuck it, Kelly says. I'm bushed. We'll deal with it in the morning. The small crew seeks its bunks. Mother watches. When she is certain the bulk is idle, she glides to its side. There are places where she can gain purchase, first with her steel-muscled arms, then her powerful fin. When she reaches the top, she eases herself over. She calls to her children and they answer with screams, faint but constant. They are beckoning her from inside the belly. 
She sweeps her fin over the deck and down into the hole, homing in on the sound. In the dark, she sees two small pools of water on one end. Her children are hanging on the edges, shrieking, arms out. She is so close. But before she can reach them, the net throwers appear. There are two, three, four more coming at her. Their eyes are wide. Guttural sounds catching their throats. She can sense they are far more afraid than they are angry. One tries to ensnare her. Mother is faster. She opens her mouth, unhinges her jaw, lunges. The needle teeth find their mark on his soft neck. Red everywhere. Another of the net throwers jumps forward. He swings at her with a harpoon, misses, and hits one of her children. The small form sinks back down into the pool in a cloud of blood and is still. Mother screams in rage. Then she is upon him. Her teeth slice through his face, stopped only briefly by the skull inside. Then she crunches down and throws him aside. She bites into another. And another. The last two run screaming. They are trying to escape in a smaller bulk when Mother finds them. Their blood soaks her scales. She throws each of the net throwers into the waves. The meat is stringy and pungent, not clean firm like fish flesh, but the sharks will not reject it. Then she goes back down into the belly. It is not the way of her kind to stir the dead, but she can, at least, save one of her children. Mother enfolds her daughter in her arms, and they slip over the side of the boat. They head down, fading into the dark water. In the morning after the storm, down at the waterfront, the waves were smooth, the sky a bleached blue. Thad stared at the wrecked boats, the smashed decking. The Argentum was gone. What happened? Where, where the hell is the ship? The cops frowned and looked at their shoes. Mm -hmm. We set a watch, one said. 
but with the weather so bad, the officer had to hole up in the marina. And I guess he fell asleep. And sometime during the night, the boat got carried back out to sea. Now, wait, Christ, you gotta be fucking kidding me. The cops run. Sorry, Mr. Hayes. We've notified the guard. They'll find her. Thad stared out at the flat calm. He didn't know why. But in his gut, he knew. He wouldn't see the ship again. In the night sea, out in the Sargasso, mother watches the bulk return, dragging a veil of algae in its wake. A golden yellow shroud that nearly glows in the moonlight. It is the resting place for her dead child now. It is a forfeiture, a partial payment for the crimes of those who throw nets. The rest is paid in blood. You've been listening to the Night's End Podcast, which is a production of Dissonance Media. Those Who Throw Nets was written by Elizabeth Allen. Beehives of the Dead, a play by Elizabeth Allen, can be heard on Between Acts Theatre Podcast from Missing Link. It is available through Apple, Spotify, or wherever you download podcasts. Link is in the description. This episode was narrated by Falconetti. Woman in the Bathroom was performed by Victoria Irwin. Search for Texas Slang for Crazy wherever you get your podcasts. She also has a book out by the same name. Link is in the description. Jimmy Horrors was performed by James Barnett. This episode was produced and edited by James Barnett. For access to exclusive episodes and merch, head over to www.patreon.com forward slash Night's End Podcast. And as always, stay horrific, everyone. <laughs>